It's the Esports Connected podcast, where we welcome members of the Esports Trade Association to share their experiences in the world of esports and gaming. I'm your host, Megan Van Petten. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Esports Connected. I am your host, Megan Van Petten, and today I'm joined by my guest co-host, Trevor Johnson. Trevor, are you excited about the show today? Megan, I'm very excited for, for the show and for today's guest. I mean, today we have Kevin Fair. He's the founder and CEO of iPlay Games. IPG is actually uh, your turnkey solution for video game events and competitions. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Trevor, man. I'm really, you know, happy to kind of be here. But first, I always try to thank people who help me, you know, kind of just get some shine and exposure in what I do. And, you know, just want to thank both of you guys for not only the warm welcome to the Esports Trade Association, but also this podcast as well. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited that that's, you know, how you heard about us and through our servant leader, James O'Hagan. You got to shoot it out to Jim. I know, you got to shoot it out to Jim. He loves when I mess around and call him Jimmy and stuff like that as well. Uh O'Hagan is definitely a big thanks for helping really kind of make a lot of this possible. Yeah, it, 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 it has been, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we're so glad you're here to share about IPG. Let's hear your origin story. So I love when people say origin story, because then I started thinking about, about myself as Batman or Superman. And I started yeah. talking about what my childhood was like. And no, honestly, my childhood probably is clo- as close to my origin story as possible. I tell people all the time, my parents didn't really get the idea of like buying a game system. So as a kid, I used to draw pictures from the newspaper sales of a regular Nintendo of an NES system so that they would get it for me for Christmas. And that is how I got my first, you know, console was I consistently would draw these pictures and say, this is what I want. Well, guess what? That transformed into me really enjoying how video games brings people together, right? I think one of the most unique things about games is that you can be from any walk of life. You could be from a different country. You could be from a different age group. But when people play games, they have these really relatable experiences through games. Games and the storytelling or the challenge that games presents, and it brings them together. And then I ended up, you know, hosting game tournaments at my high school by stealing, stealing televisions from the AV room. And so I tell people all the time, my career started when I was in high school and I realized how much I enjoyed the community that video games helped build. And then I enjoy the activity that competitions in video games bring. And so, you know, that you know, experience of being brave enough to take a TV from AV in high school led me to have the same type of bravery and courage, you know, when I decided to, you know, really take a leap of faith and move on from a traditional career in a lot of ways and, you know, do something that a lot of my parents, you know, my parents, friends thought I was crazy to leave a big four accounting firm to start a career in video games, which relatively was unheard of at that time. And so, you know, I think I I had my finger on the pulse, to be perfectly honest with you, had my finger on the pulse on how millennials and how some generation Xers were definitely going to want to enjoy a space that you know, allowed them to be adults and enjoy, you know, a drink with a friend, but at the same time, talk about their love and appreciation for video games. And so a lot of my first ideas and tournaments really kind of came from that inspiration alone. What year was that, that you left PricewaterhouseCooper? Not to drop any names, but these (laughs) are the experience, Joseph. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, I don't have any gray hair, so I feel good about still stating years to people. I graduated during the marketing crash, um, the housing crash in 2008, and I started IPG a year later in 2009, just kind of thinking about, I was just, you know, it was great at the, you know, with a group that does internal audits, don't get me wrong. A group that was doing internal audits was doing good business at the time. So it wasn't like I was afraid that I wouldn't have a job through PwC in that particular way. But I also used that experience to bootstrap and fund my business. Mm. The first set of televisions I bought was from working at PwC and saving my money. I also tell, I also try to encourage, you know, kids a lot of times because guess what? My experience is with a degree in computer science and so many of my STEAM experiences, you know, helped me repair the first five Xboxes that we used for our first tournament. So yeah, 2009 was an interesting year for me. I was buying TVs, fixing Xboxes, starting tournaments, and then eventually leaving a job while I started a new company. I mean, that, that's just crazy to hear. And you, you kind of almost stole the words out of my mouth earlier. Like <laughs> that, that that leap of faith, you know, like that's something that's always so interesting to me. I love to hear about it. it it's always a, a really cool story that kind of ties into that superhero-esque origin. But just talk to me a little bit more about it. You said that you were unsure. Your family was unsure. Like what what made you bet on yourself? How did you know that it's just it had to be what you do? Well, I think the easy thing to reflect on at the time was I kind of used to think about a job as, hey, it's something you do that you don't necessarily like. Right. And I really had to come to, you know, more of a a reflective kind of moment on, well, this isn't working out. You're getting paid what you wanted to get paid for all of this time, but you're unhappy, you know, and I think one of the things that I try to encourage people to take the leap of faith and what brought me to it was that. When I made mistakes at my job, not being a traditional accountant, I'm not a CPA, but I graduated with a degree in computer science that allowed me to script things for people to do their general ledger lines and things like that. My general disinterest for accounting did not make me very good at that job, right? (laughs) I didn't pay attention to detail. I did not go the extra mile. But guess what I did go the extra mile in? video games and esports, you know, you become people talk about, you know, becoming a perfectionist or an overachiever by trying to gather all your trophies on, you know, on PlayStation Network or get achieve unlock achievements and Xbox. And guess what? That was pretty true. You know, I found myself paying a, a lot of attention to detail when it came to video games, when it came to hosting events and pulling things together like that. I was really keen on details and I think those were the types of things that made me really confident about saying, hey, I don't know what this market is going to be like. I don't even know if this industry is going to continue to exist, you know, in a uh, mainstream kind of way. But I believe there's something here that, you know, not only will my generation really enjoy, but I know the generation right behind me is not stopping playing video games anytime soon. And so it was something that I think that I could experience you know, personally, where I have friends, we were enjoying playing video games. We do it all night. And I said, there has to be a way to professionalize this space in a way where I can create a business where I can support myself, you know, start to hire employees, do larger events. And that's where I really started to kind of see my way into this was that, hey, listen, 
You're going to want to do it. Your friends are already doing it for hours on end. And the next generation behind you is probably going to do something even better than what you guys do. So if you start professionalizing what you're passionate about now, it made me work past all of those obstacles of, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but because I was passionate about it, I would stick with it. Becoming a problem solver really was, I think, the key to you know, starting a business, even though I had no experience in starting a business and, you know, seeing that kind of pathway is really what, you know, kind of helped me take that leap of faith. Wow. You know, it's so cool to hear you say that because there's people that just could never grapple the, why would you leave PricewaterhouseCoopers? That job in 2009. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I even want to put in bold in 2009 when, you know, we were in such an incredible crash in our economy. And, you know, it, it's so, th- this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love working in industries that are fast paced is because people just flood in because they just love the industry that we call gaming, competitive gaming. So it just, there, it, it just, you know, you're totally speaking into my listening telling people to do what you love because it actually does exist. It, it's actually possible. No. I, and I think you, I think you're right because I, I try to tell people all the time, especially when I have, you know, my workshops with students, we usually play like the Jackbox party pack and I put on a fibbage where you can, you know, tell a fib where they say, tell something that's true about you, something that's untrue. And in that scenario, I usually go, Hey, did I make $75,000 my first year or did my first business idea fail? And so most of them inevitably, depending on the crowd, they will go, you were a failure. And I go, well, thanks, everybody, for the vote of confidence. But more times than not, most people think the thing I'm willing to share is that I made a lot of money. And what I try to tell people is that, listen, I didn't have an angel investor. I had no access to venture capitalists in that way. The idea that I was thinking of was, you know, self-start, you know, self-started. It was funded by me. I bootstrapped my way into the industry in a lot of ways. And honestly, it, it allowed me to learn a lot of lessons and it made me become very frugal with the way that I invested in learning those lessons. But no, it's completely possible. I did not have a family member that said, hey, I've got someone I can give you some guidance on. I heard a lot of no's at first. You know, we were talking about this beforehand, but, you know, before these venues, all of these arcade bars and land centers popped up, you know, we would try and uh, host video game events at non-endemic gaming spaces, you know, so we would be at, you know, restaurants with larger spaces and whatnot. And most of those groups would just tell us no at first. They did not think it was a good idea. They couldn't see how you know, gaming and competitive gaming were going to be a huge impact. And so, you know, once again, you know, I I always try to let people know the wins and the losses and how I took lessons away from both. Sometimes those lessons were hard to, you know, to kind of face at that moment in time. And sure, they hurt. But I, I think what I was able to do was to learn what business owners were looking for and how to help satisfy those needs for them in business while trying to do video game events in their space. I think as well, it, it also inspired the people that were working with me to not give up 
to keep trying to be proactive and problem solving and thinking about how we apply what it is that we love about this particular thing. We used to, I remember one time we packed out a, uh, a venue and they were just like, no, I don't think so. Because we were really young. Imagine we were 23, 24. And I think that that just wasn't the ideal group that they were looking for. And I didn't take that personally. Instead, <laughs> I learned, oh, wow. So they even have age demographics that they want to hit specifically. Wait, okay. For, for our guests that can't see us, I've just got to, I've just got to lay the groundwork here of the visual here. Kevin is in Chicago in a Sox hat. So, I mean, here, <laughs> like, let, let's just put the problem out there let's right that, now. Let's get that out of the way now. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, he's probably going to Wrigleyville, trying to create these events in his stock year. And that's like problem one. <laughs> that actually is true. To some I believe it. It's <laughs> true. That is a really good guess, honestly, is that we did have events that worked well on the north side. And groups were just like, yeah, this was good, but I don't know if we really want, you know, a bunch of 23, 24-year-olds running around here like that anymore. And you could have been right. It could just have been a Sox thing where they were just like, no, we're not inviting the Sox guy to come back and do another event. But no, I mean, that through that, through those experiences on really every side of town, you know, we kind of learned how to take this activity of video games and apply it in the way groups need it for them to work out in business so that, you know, they would see these v- events as value, not just as people who like video games, but as business owners who stand to, you know, take profit from. It. So, that uh, I mean, it's really great to hear the story behind the business and then how, how you got there, all, all the different tries and things like that. But um, keep, to keep on the topic of origin stories, I guess, how about we talk about the very first event you hosted after you quit your job, you started your company? Like what, what is that very first event success or fail? Let's talk about the first one. Okay. So let's, let's, let's get some, some, some transparency on like the timeline. Right. So in 2009, I start my business. Right. And I actually have an event while I'm still working at PwC. And so that first event, I mean, honestly was just, It was small, but it was so impactful. I feel like we hit influencers before influencers were a concept. We really got people who were zealots. At the time, we were hosting a Street Fighter 4 tournament. Street Fighter 4 had just come out. It was a recently released game. And so we didn't get every person that bought a copy of Street Fighter. Like nowadays, the concept is, hey, we're trying to make sure that every single person that bought the copy of this game is coming to our event. Well, we couldn't afford a space that big. That just wasn't possible. (laughs) We could uh, afford this uh, art gallery that I think is defunct now, but Artistic Genius, he gave us a really nice opportunity to host an event there. And we really had people who were influencers in the fighting game community here that had either, you know, won a tournament someplace else before, or they were an authority on how to get better on the game. And those people populated that very first event. And even though, you know, I think at the time we had something like 24 competitors, which was great for a first event. Don't get me wrong. I'm not scoffing at that. But I know if you look at it through today's lens, it's like, oh, that's moderately nice. But those 24 people really turned around and evangelized their experience. And Mm -hmm. what made the event great was then we learned that it's not necessarily about trying to have the biggest everything, even though those things help. It was about, you know, really kind of cultivating a fun experience. And 
when we did that, we started realizing, hey, there's ways that don't cost money to get people to have fun at these particular things. And sometimes just catering to their needs really helps make those experiences. So we fit ourselves into this small 550 square foot art gallery with something like eight to 10 televisions that, you know, some were conveniently in closets. People were going into closets to play games, being really successful and just really entertaining for a group. And cultivating that experience for them really kind of helped kickstart what we do as a business as a whole. Now, to give you to give you one other little tidbit, you know, all right. So I then quit that job and then I worked for another five years where I literally take every vacation day and every sick day to travel to the conventions that we started to do. So we then became the group that provided the anime conventions, the comic cons, we provided the, you know, the equipment and the tournament hosting for those groups. And so I'm working a job for five years while I, after I quit PWC and literally have no vacation. I've never, I never took a vacation or a sick day to be at home. I, I literally went on the road to, to fulfill my, my, my dreams as, as, as far as having a business. And so my first event after being nixed from that place was when I went to Seattle to host the Courtyard Marriott's um, event with the Seattle Seahawks. So, you know, I know you may ask me more about that, but just to give people about how far your passion and hard work can kind of take you, you know, I ended up going someplace I'd never been before, never been to Seattle for anything else. And then I got to uh, work with the then Super Bowl champion, Seattle Seahawks. So, and guess what? It's funny, Megan, because I, I did wear a white socks cap. Oh, the socks no. were in town to play the Mariners that weekend. Oh, that were. <laughs> so, yeah, it, <laughs> you know, it was like, well, no, I'm here for the game, you know. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting you say that because my grandfather, didn't let me call him grandpa. He made me call him coach. And okay. he was he was really dedicated. He was a really dedicated guy. And boy, I'm so glad that I listened to him. And it made no sense when I was probably Trevor's age. He said, don't ever do a job you need a vacation from. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? And I get it now. And I don't. You know, when you love what you do, it, it's not even work. Yeah. And even though it is work, you know, because I, I try to tell people who are like, I, this sounds fun. I want to get into it. Well, guess what? The 50 PlayStations didn't flow here. The 50 televisions didn't <laughs> magically appear here. You know, uh, again, there was a lot of lifting that stuff on the trucks. You you know, once again, we I didn't fly to Seattle that first time. We drove the 28 hours. Oh, to my Seattle. gosh. And so. Even though you can definitely point out the points that are work, when I got there and people from someplace, you know, I, I think I had the fear initially that maybe we pop really well just in Chicago, man. I really want to see how well we do in another city and with people who can give us our fit, their fair and unbiased feedback. And when we did well in another city, in another region on the on the West Coast, I really started saying, wow, I think, you know, this experience has allowed us to speak something like a universal language. And so, yeah, guess what? There are moments where you can point to the hard work where you are really working, but the benefits so outweigh, you know, the tired moments of, Hey, we just drove this many hours. We just lifted all of this stuff. It's a very precious, pressure sensitive situation. 
but seeing people really have a good time. The kid, So basically one of the kids got to play with at the time, it was Richard Sherman, who at that moment was cornerback for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And seeing how happy they were and how this made an amazing experience for them. Driving 28 hours didn't seem like anything, man. One thing I absolutely love that you're talking about right now is like the experience of these events. I'm working on a sport management degree right now. And the one thing that my professors always tell me is you're not selling the event, you're selling the experience. And to, to hear about all your successes and that you were to, that you were really focused on the experience, like it, it makes makes my professor sound a little bit smarter. So I'm sure yeah. they'll enjoy that. I'm sure, I'm sure that they'll enjoy when I tell them that, that, that it does happen. Cause I, I'll, a lot of us start to question it. It's like, Oh, well, no, this is the event, but no, it really is the experience and kind of the impact you can have on people. So you talked about being able to work um, with the NFL teams, the NFL players. Um, what's it been like to work? I mean, has it been tricky to work with people like run DMC um, for a just dance, just dance uh, competition. And then to, to work with the NFL players, what's that like? Uh, It was tricky, 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 tricky. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually it was, it was a a lot of fun to see it kind of come together because we were engaging a group at the time and this was at New York comic-con. So we actually had D from DMC show up And he was talking about the comic book he was working on at the time. And part of the, you know, entire buildup and activation was that we were hosting a Just Dance tournament. And at the time, Just Dance is, Just Dance had, which song was, oh, it was uh, Rock This Way. It was the song with Aeros that they were featured with, with Aerosmith. And I said, oh, that's cool. The song is on this particular version of the game. And I said, also, D will be here tomorrow. And only in the way that someone who's really keen on, you know, spotting talent and making themes come together. I noticed this kid who was just good at Dance Central. And I said, you know, tomorrow during the competition, we have to have him do it. Now, uh, a part of the experience for people who aren't familiar is that the game tries to popularize his dances from particular time periods. So here I was not knowing if this kid knew how to break dance or not, but knowing that I think he's played all of this and I know that he's probably really good at this song. So here's this kid doing these break dances from the uh, Run DMC, you know, song on the game and D who is actually judging the competition. Everybody got a kick out of it when the song came on. He got a big kick out of it. (laughs) Um, I got to meet somebody who I'd always considered a musical legend, you know, enjoying Run DMC songs. But I think once again, I always try to preach problem solving, you know, and even though we didn't have a problem per se, it was definitely the opportunity, you know, recognizing the opportunity rather, and then saying, hey, let's make the theme and the experience here something that people won't forget. They'll go, there was this really little kid who killed it at Just Dance while he was dancing to run DMC and DMC was there and D was there. Do you want to know why I think that's so smart? Because I love that question, Trevor. I feel like Trevor and I are like Martha Stewart. And who who's that guy she hangs out with? Martha Stewart. I've only seen Martha Stewart co-host with Snoop Dogg. That's Snoop. Snoop. Yeah, that, yeah. That, so, so Trevor and I are like the Martha and the Martha Snoop. Martha and Snoop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that question, Trevor. And here's why. This is my experience. Athletes and celebrities have made my day when they come. 
And they are just the most generous people. I mean, they're, and they're in high demand. What you did that I think is so smart, Kevin, is you found backup entertainment because what happens oftentimes with really busy people is stuff happens. (laughs) So two things I always recommend, have a backup plan or person day off because they even get sick. They're just normal people. And number two, have key person event insurance. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, you're correct. No, you are definitely correct on that because there's been a number of times where we had celebrity appearances scheduled to come play video games. And, you know, they get caught up between two or three different commitments. They do. And sometimes they're doing you a favor, honestly, showing something they're not contracted to do. Yep. And, you know, even though it's a really big commitment for you, for them, it's like, hey, I got contractual agreements that I have to keep up with. I cannot right. not do those. And so, no, um, having a pro gamer who, you know, is really great with audiences is definitely a lifesaver. Having a pro gamer who's go- who can go, hey, you guys want to watch me do something cool on the game? And then they get everybody into it. And then they do, you know, things that engage the audience in that way. No, I agree with you big time on that one, Megan. That's definitely a lifesaver. And when that is also like being in the experience, and that's one of the secrets to my success in having an event, And the experience is just being Johnny on the spot, being in it. Like what happens tomorrow if, and that's just, it's just absolutely brilliant. Okay. I see this kid. He's got something. He's a break dancer. I'm having him show tomorrow. So there it was, you know, so you're always thinking one step forward. So your experiential, you're being the experience. Take that to your professor. No, yes, definitely let the professor know that they got great job security. You guys are listening during class. Let them yeah. know. No, I'm I'm definitely happy to be that vessel. Yes, you've been that vessel for us. This is this is a great show. I know Trevor has a couple of more questions for you before you go, for sure. Go for it, man. Yeah, I mean, just to talk more about like the event hosting tournament organizing, like you're you're starting a brand new tournament series, right? With Rocket League, uh, all, all the all the kids love Rocket League. Uh, I, I imagine like you're, you're playing with Hot Wheels, and there's a ball in between. <laughs> I don't play a lot of Rocket League, but that's how I describe it. It's 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 soccer, which is soccer a very with, with RC cars. Yep, and soccer is a super like popular sport worldwide. Whether it be football is probably the correct name for it. Um, but you get to do that with cars and in a video game. So what, what was kind of your inspiration for starting this new series, uh, as you called it? Well, this is a really great question for a couple of different reasons. So here's one of the great things. I actually was introduced to Rocket League through a PS Plus free type of thing, right? And just realizing, wow, this is a really fun game that, you know, honestly, easy to understand when you're watching it. You can see it and go, oh, so these funny looking RC cars are playing soccer with this ball and there's two goals in the net, you know, so that's not hard to understand, but what makes it great kind of leads into one of the other things that our business does. So we were doing the large events where we had a mix of family and esports, And what I found myself doing was really kind of reflecting as a young black male about, Hey, how am I doing something that can give back to my community or at least find ways to include them. And what I thought was really great at the time was that, hey, man, we could come to your school and do something informative about here's how I'm operating in this new world called esports that your mom and dad may not be fully up on, but I know you're watching on YouTube. I know you watch a YouTuber or some type of influencer that talks about it. 
And one of the reasons that, once again, Rocket League is really great right now for us is that Rocket League is free to play. And it's a part of, you know, this brand new wave of things that since I started esports is a brand new thing, which is the free to play model. But here's what that does that I don't think a lot of people recognize. When I work in a lot of these different schools, kids enjoy 2K, but that doesn't guarantee that they have the current year of 2K to play. And so how do you how do you functionally create an esports, you know, competition or, you know, space for students to learn about it when they don't have access to the software or sometimes they don't have access to the same hardware? Well, you get a, a great game like Rocket League, which is easy to play, easy to understand, but has mastery levels. There's definitely a mastery to Rocket League, but now it's free. So every kid that I talk to has access to that game. And it's cross-platform compatible. So I'm looking at this really from an access standpoint. Rocket League has a ton of access, but also has history. So that means there are people who are professionals. They've got through those mastery levels, right? So now they're through those mastery levels. And I can give a young kid a game that they have access to, can play any of their friends, regardless of what console they own or what platform they're playing on. And they have they have things that they can look to to inspire them to be professionals. There are pro Rocket League players as a part of the RLCS. And so <clears throat> it basically checks every um, box for me. And we have a lot of fun really kind of working with our pro and semi-pro teams and hosting these tournaments that we're now working on as part of our spring series. We hosted a tournament last month that was, I mean, we had some grandmaster level players for most people who are familiar. The game has, you know, play levels so you can get to gold, platinum. We had some GM level players show up and it makes for great content. I think that the community at large wants to educate more than they want to exclude people. And I think those are all really great signs and factors of a budding and growing esports community that only lends itself to the next generation in that way. So we are actually working on a, a Rocket League monthly series that'll be going on. Usually it's the third or fourth week weekend of every month that you guys can tune in at twitch.tv backslash IPG underscore esports. I, it's always great to hear about Rocket League, especially what you said with it being free to play. As soon as Epic bought Rocket League Psionics, I was like, wow, that's huge. Rocket League's already a, a huge esport, and now it's going to be free to play, and you just opened up the world to it. So it, it's really cool that you kind of touched on that because that was one of the biggest moves that I've seen in esports over the past couple of years when yeah. it comes to when it comes to games. I mean, aside from everything that Riot does and how they do it, I think Epic, what they have with Fortnite and Rocket League is great two great games and two great potential esports at least talking on that side of the industry but i mean but kevin it's been it's been really great to hear from you do you have any parting words of advice for people trying to make it trying to break out or take that leap Woo. you're gonna you're gonna lose you're gonna lose a lot of weight because you're gonna be definitely working pretty hard that's definitely one pro i always tell people but here's the other one imagine if you knew what you knew about professional football and college football 50 years before the first Super Bowl. Imagine if you could be one of those initial people that say, hey, I think this is a really great thing to invest in. And that's really right now where esports is. Esports is in its infancy. And because of that, 
you can be someone who, like me, relatively had low resources, but really through, you know, creative thinking and just some stick to itness, really kind of create a space for yourself by finding the niches that, you know, once again, are going to be brand new. The industry in a lot of ways is brand new. And by finding those niches, you can create a business by professionalizing the thing that you do well. You know, I've witnessed people, you know, take things like hosting tournaments and make these platforms that allow you to host brackets. And guess what? Those people were programmers and coders who enjoyed gaming competition. They found a niche and fulfilled it in this kind of space. And that's what I try to drive every student to do is to think about what makes them happy, what they're passionate about, and then think of ways to professionalize that to fill a void in the esports, uh, esports, you know, playing. That I I could not think of any better advice there as someone trying to get to the industry. I'll definitely make sure to remember that <laughs> as I kind of move on through it. Well, I'm, I'm going to hold you to saying that Kevin told okay. me. That. <laughs> Kevin told me on on this date uh, on this year it, is that is when I learned it. Perfect. <laughs> Megan, do you have any final questions for Kevin? I don't know. I would just like to thank everyone for another episode of Esports Connected, a series for members to hear about our members and we and we can stay connected. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you for listening. The Esports Connected podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye podcast network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. If you love what you hear, please be sure to subscribe or follow and leave us a review. 